0: Now, last week, we began a series on the Sermon on the Mount called the Upside-Down Kingdom. And basically, Jesus has come on the scene and said, listen, the kingdom of God is here. It's among you. It's in your midst. And then he begins in the Sermon on the Mount to to tell us the heart of the matter is how do we live in that upside-down kingdom. If it's here, and he's called us to live in that How how do we live there? And and he talks about how we go against the flow of this world and how we uh, swim upstream. And he begins the whole sermon with something called the Beatitudes, eight statements of blessing. Beatitude is a fancy word for blessing. And uh, one of the better um, definitions of blessing is that this is an extension of God's favor into your life. So at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the, the character of the citizen of God's kingdom. Uh, what it means to, to have the character that brings God's favor. And last week we began with the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that was a a very intentional way to start his sermon and a very important one to look at because to be poor in spirit means that you're recognizing your spiritual poverty and that means that you are being humble before your God and submitting to his reign in your life and you are relying on him for everything, even the power to live in the kingdom. Now, I had intended to lump the next three of the blessings, the Beatitudes, into one sermon because the first four are really about our relationship with God and the last four are our relationship with other people. So I thought, well, that would be very tidy to, to do one sermon with three of the Beatitudes. And then I began my study and I realized, wait a second, These Beatitudes, some of them really do need a full sermon in and of themselves, a full study. And so uh, we're going to go a little bit slower through the Sermon on the Mount. Believe me, it's okay. I'm not going to go like one verse every week, although that would be um, job security because you you can't fire me if I go, we're not done with the Sermon on the Mount yet. Oh, no, you can't. You'll never know how they end, Scott. So we are looking at beatitude number two. And some believe that this is a paradox because it begins, blessed are those who mourn. And in some translations that are trying to kind of make it more in, in today's vernacular, they would say happy are the sad. Happy are the sad. Isn't that kind of a Paradox. Happy are this. so. So in order to be happy, you got to be sad. In order to be sad, you you got to be. I, I, I don't get it. Well, What do you mean? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter five, just one verse in Matthew. Matthew chapter five, verse four it says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." Now. I think a lot of people have taken this wrong because uh, a lot of believers out there, instead of living in the joy of the Lord, they go around looking like the frozen chosen. They got this scowl on their face. And you go, hey, do you have the joy of the Lord? Yes, I do. Well, then tell your face, okay? Because they, they, they live with this, this entire scowl in their whole persona. They're just scowling all the time. And, and you say, are you okay? And they go, no, I'm just a Christian. I mean, that, that's why I look this way. That, that's not what Jesus means, by the way. Like the first beatitude, this second beatitude actually involves a spiritual characteristic that connects us to the way that God sees us, and especially in regards to the way he sees our sinful nature. And, and then it deals then with our response with the wrongdoing that we all find in our lives. And that makes sense because once you do, from the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, once you realize your spiritual poverty and your desperate need for grace, we should be led to this deep sorrow for the thing that caused the separation from us and our God. It's saying, I'm sorry, but meaning it. I, I don't know if you were like me as, growing up as a kid, and, and I'd do something wrong, and I'd get caught, and, and, and mom would say, well, what do you say? And i say, I'm sorry. And she goes, well, are you sorry because you're sorry, or are you sorry because you got caught? More often than not, it was because I got caught, and I really wasn't that sorry. How, how sorry are you for, for the wrong things that are found in your life? I mean, from an early age, we were told to pretend. I mean, from an early age, my mom would look at me and say, Trey, you tell your sister that you're sorry. Okay, but I'm not. But I'll say it. I'll pretend that everything is okay. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And so all of a sudden, that becomes the pattern of the rest of our lives, saying, you know what? I'm supposed to be sorry for this, but it's really not a big deal. It's kind of like the man who recently, seriously, was, uh, this true story, arrested up in Portland during the, the riots up there uh, for arson. They booked the man. They kept him in jail for a couple days. They released him, and guess what he did? True story. Went out and started six more fires. Uh, he wasn't sorry for what he had done. He, he, had no, he had no sorrow for the wrongdoing that he had done because it was no big deal to him though they may have had a potential effect on other people's lives. So the concept of blessed are those who mourn can be said that God's favor is extended to those who, when they face the reality of their sin and the consequences that those sins bring into their lives and the lives of other people, that they actually are heartbroken because it is a big deal. Today we're going to be in a couple of psalms, so you may want to right now kind of go towards uh, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Kind of put your finger in in those. Uh, I will have them up on the screen, but it's kind of neat to actually see them uh, printed out in in your Bible, and it's great to hear the, 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 the pages shuffling. But we're going to be looking at those two psalms in particular because they really illustrate what we're talking about today. Blessed are they who mourn, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, last weekend, if you were here on Saturday, we had a wonderful community concert at two o'clock on Saturday out in our West Lawn, and we invited a lot of worship leaders from a lot of different places, and one of them was Charlie Walker. Uh, Charlie lives uh, in our community, and he's he a, a country-western singer. I love his voice. I, I love, I love uh, his songs that he does, and uh, in the middle of his set, he, he reminded us of a story found in the Old Testament about King David. And I thought it was very relevant to what we were talking about, a, of a day of repentance and of revival. And, and so we even brought it in on Sunday night when we did our celebration concert here. David, David was a paradox because David was called a man after God's own heart. And, and yet you, you look at this one particular event in David's life. David, instead of being out with his army, the the time that kings would go out with their armies, he sent his army out and he stayed home. And one night he was kind of walking the the, the roof of his palace and he looked around the, the neighboring buildings and he saw a lady who thought that she was in privacy on her rooftop because usually people would be down on the streets and they can't see what's going on on the rooftop. They had flat roofs there. And she was bathing. And he looked at her and thought... Boy, that looks really attractive. He sent a servant to go get her, and he spent the night with her. And I, I love the way that Charlie had said it. He said, well, one thing led to another, and by the, the end of the evening, she was pregnant. That, was, that kind of took away all the awkwardness of, of what was going on. So what does David do? Well, he, he knows he's got to do a cover-up because he's the king, and he shouldn't be doing things like this. So he brings her husband home from the front his name was Uriah. And David said, Uriah, why don't you, you know, you're such a good soldier. Why don't you go and hang out with spend a couple nights with your wife, okay? That'll be good for you. A nice R and R, some, some uh, just just a reward for what you've been doing out there in the army. And and very publicly, Uriah said, No, I will not spend A night with my wife. Why should I have any kind of the comforts of a home life when all of my buddies are out still there on the front and they don't get that? So he made a big deal and basically let everybody in Jerusalem know I am not going home to sleep with my wife. Well, David's plan to cover up the pregnancy now looks like it's going to fail. So he now does another cover-up. He sends Uriah back to the general with a sealed scroll. Uriah doesn't know what this says, but when the general reads it, it says, put Uriah on the front lines, right where the the fighting is the heaviest, and when it gets so bad, I want you to pull away from Uriah so that he will die. And that's exactly what they do. And in a very direct and indirect way, David kills a man because of his own sin that he was trying to cover up. He's a man after God's own heart. How can that be? Well, you see, there's the rest of the story. Because God, in his loving firmness as a father, sends Nathan the prophet to go confront King David on this horrendous, heinous sin. So Nathan comes and tells uh, the the king a story about a man in his kingdom. He said, there's there's a man in your kingdom, O David, O king, who... um, had, uh, has many, many, many sheep in his possession. And he was having a party, and a bunch of friends were coming over, but instead of using one of his own lambs to feed his friends, he went to his neighbor's place, where his neighbor only had one sheep, and he took that, that sheep, and he killed that sheep, and fed that to his, to, to his friends, instead of using one of his own. Now, David being a shepherd when he was a young boy, he, he knew the, the impact of this. And he got incensed. He was so mad at this injustice. And he said, where is he? That man must die. And in a very, very uh, intense moment of Scripture in 2 Samuel 12, 7, we read that Nathan points to David and says, you are that man. And at that point, David realizes exactly what was going on, that this was an, an analogy for what he had done. Though he had many wives and concubines, he would still steal Uriah's wife and then have Uriah killed to cover everything up. And immediately, David's heart is broken. He's ashamed of what he has done. And I, I kind of like to think that some of these psalms that David writes, it's like he takes out a spiritual journal and he begins to write a prayer that demonstrates, I'm sorry. It's the I'm sorry psalm. And he and, and shows how poor in spirit he realizes that he is. Psalm 51 is written right after his encounter with Nathan. He is raw with grief over sinning against God. And so there in, chapter, in Psalm 51, starting in verse 3, David says, I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak. Boy, sin is not a very popular word in our culture today, is it? We would rather talk about our mistakes or, uh, well, we make excuses uh, rather than call something a sin. We, we want to blame other people just like Adam and Eve did. It wasn't their fault. It was somebody else's fault. But David shows us something very interesting here in Psalm 51. He actually uses three words to describe his wrongdoing. And each one of them have a different flavor about what this wrongdoing looks like in everyone's life. First of all, in verse 1, he uses the word transgression. Now, what's a transgression? Just think of a no trespassing sign. You're out there hunting because it's October, right? Right? Well, you're, you're not because you're here. Thank you. But let's say next week you're out hunting and you see the no trespassing sign. Well, what that transgression is, is you ignore that sign and you say, I don't care what that sign says. I want in and you climb the fence out of rebellion. It's, it's basically, I know what God says, but I think, I think that's one of the worst sins that you and I could ever do. I know what God's word says. But I think that's a transgression, doing what you know to be wrong. Number two, he uses the word iniquity in verse two of uh, Psalm 51. And iniquity is a very intriguing word because it means grossly unjust behavior. You know, when I was growing up, it was always, that's not fair. It's not fair. I grew up with two sisters. It wasn't fair, okay? It's not fair. And my mom would say, oh, you want to know what's not fair? And she would then explain a bunch of other things that were so unjust in this world. And I would say, fine, I'll do the dishes a second night in a row. Not fair. Boy, we, we sure are incensed when we're treated with injustice. And yet many of us will turn right around and treat other people with injustice. The third Word you've heard much more often than transgression and iniquity. And that's the word sin. Sin. Uh, verse 2. It's right there. It's actually all through Psalm 51. My sin, my sin, my sin. What's a sin? Well, it's an archery term. And if you're an archer, you know that you've got a bullseye and you're trying to hit that bullseye. But an archery term for missing the mark is sin. I mean, that, that was, that's what this means. It means that God's got a standard that he wants his disciples to hit, and I fall short of that. So so you see the flavors of these things. One has to do with the fact that I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. One has to do with the fact that I do some things that are grossly unfair and unjust to other people. And the third one is that God wants me to live a certain way, and I miss that mark. Church, it's time that we actually call a sin, a sin, and a transgression, a transgression, and an iniquity, and an iniquity. But in our culture, we like to play those things down, especially because, you know, we're all basically good. Man, we even have leaders today, moral leaders, people who should be moral leaders, who have a very hard time saying that they have sinned. It's kind of like the old happy days TV show where Fonzie, when he had done something wrong and he was, he couldn't say it. He goes, I was... I was... And they go, Fonzie, are you trying to say you were wrong? Yeah, yeah, I was... Couldn't, couldn't say it. Many of us can't say that either, but the reality is, folks, we've all, we have all fallen short of God's standard. We have all at times... Done gross injustice to someone else. We have all known God's law and we have chosen to ignore it and climb that fence, though it said no trespassing. In fact, in, in Psalm 14, it says, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there's any who understand, any who seek God, but all have turned away. All have become corrupt. Well, not, I'm not corrupt. In God's eyes, in a holy God's eyes, yes, you are. There's no one who does good. That's how God sees it. You say, well, I'm mostly, mostly good. And God says, no, no, you're not good. Not even one. So some people say, well, then if we all sin, then what's the big deal? I mean, can't we dismiss it and saying, well, at least I don't sin like somebody else does, that guy, you know? The big deal is this. The Bible tells us that we earn something when we sin. Ephesians chapter 2 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgression and sin. There's those words again. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Do you see why it's so important to leave that kingdom behind and start living in the upside down kingdom? Paul says all of us also lived there among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, the consequences of sin are fourfold. First of all, it destroys our relationship with God. Number two, it destroys our relationship with other people. Number three, it actually traps us in in a, a slavery that we cannot do anything about. And finally, it kills us. Now, those are pretty strong words, preacher. Yeah? It comes from Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. So what benefit did you reap then from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in, what's the word? Death. Those things result in death. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who consider the state of their sinfulness, and they, with sober minds, are heartbroken over what that sin does to their relationship with God and their relationship with other people and even what they even are like on the inside. So where does God's favor? Being blessed, how does that come in when we come to that realization and and mourn our sin? Well, two verses later, In Romans 6.23, some of you have memorized this verse. The wages of sin is death, but. (laughs) I love that word. The wages of sin is death, but. You see, though our sinful state seems so hopeless, and it is under our own power, believe me, and that's the whole concept of being poor in spirit from last week, there is, folks, real hope if we know where to look because that's not the end of the verse, and it's not the end of the story. The wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God. See, it comes from God, not from us. We didn't earn it. What we earned was death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I titled this sermon, Broken Hearts and Fresh Starts. That should be a good country song, I think. Broken Hearts and Fresh Starts. See, that's the power of beatitude number two. Jesus said that those who mourn over their sins would be comforted. Now, that word in Greek is a very strong word, comforted. It's not like taking a little kid and going, oh, there, there, there. It's it's all going to be fine. No, in fact, Jesus uses a word that has the same root as what he calls the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who comes alongside of and encourages and edifies and empowers See, that comfort comes when we understand God's character. Yes, He is a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. He cannot allow sin to come into His presence. But even in the Old Testament, where people think that God is one way and He's so angry and capricious and punishing in the Old Testament, but He's so good and loving in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, there's an understanding of a God of justice, being also the God of mercy. Because Psalm 51 actually begins with, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Uh, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see those three words again, transgression, iniquity, and sin. You know, David uses those same three words throughout the Psalms. He uses them also in Psalm 32. But in Psalm 32, what's beautiful about that is he also then gives us three different words for restoration. If you look there at the way that Psalm 32 begins, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Guys, there are three words there that I want you to put into your heart. Number one, the word forgiven. It basically means to have something taken away from you, like a heavy burden taken from you and carried far, far away. In Exodus chapter 34, uh, God would instruct the Israelites to, once a year, bring two goats. One would be a sacrifice, and one would have the entire uh, community's sin placed on its back, and then it was released to run out into the wilderness, never to be seen again, taken far away. You know what that goat was called? Yeah, the scapegoat. Somebody had to take the blame, and he took the blame far, far away. That's what forgiven Means, it's been taken far away from you. Number two, covered. Hmm, I love this word. Covered means, well, covered. So that you're no longer exposed. Don't we all fear exposure? In the Garden of Eden, when God finds out about Adam and Eve's sin and they know that God has found out, they try to cover themselves up. And Isaiah says that that, that didn't work. <laughs> that, that was insufficient, that we needed something else. You know, I used to do youth ministry long time ago. I remember, I don't know why I did this. I, I, I was feeling a little impish, I guess. Had these middle school boys with me at summer camp in the cabin. And boy, you know, middle school boys. And if you don't, you're, you're blessed. Believe me. Uh, just to get away from the kids, uh, we counselors would have a counselors meeting after everybody went to bed, which meant that we put everybody to bed and then we got to go up to the A-frame and we would have a party and we would talk about the kids and we would have, have junk food and, it was, and play games. It was, it was great. But you'd always tell your, your boys, guys, you need to get to sleep because I've got a counselors meeting that I got to get to. Now, that's true. I wasn't lying. I didn't have a counsel, counselors meeting to get to. So I, I would do that. One night in particular, The the guys were really rowdy, and I said, guys, I I really need you to be quiet. I really need you to go to bed because i got to go to my my counselor's meeting. And I left the cabin and went about, oh, three or four yards away and hid behind a tree just to listen, just to listen to the conversations that would go on after the adult left the, the, the cabin. Boy, they got pretty vulgar. They got pretty crude with what they were talking about. And, I mean, they, they didn't necessarily use profanity, but they sure were talking about things that re- really believers should not be talking about. And, and I let it go on for about three, maybe four minutes, and that's when I walked back in. <laughs> and, oh, boy, the faces on all of those boys were like, oh, no, we've been exposed. The next day, I, I don't know how many, uh, how, how many times those boys were treating me really nicely. Can we get can we can we get you a coke tray? Can can we get you a candy bar? And a couple of them literally came up to me and they said, i mean, very seriously. Please don't tell my mom what I said." I, I use that as then just kind of a lesson of saying, "Well, if you don't want your mom to say it, then sh- should you be saying that in the first place?" But but what, what a great picture of what it's like to know that what you've done is wrong, but you don't want it exposed. Well, here's what David says in Psalm 32 is that blessed is the man whose sin is covered by the Lord. That he doesn't expose you to just shame you, but literally takes his own son's blood and covers you. Thirdly, it says, blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him. God does not count our sin against those who are blessed. It's like that bill that you were dreading to have to pay is now just torn up. The guy that you owed that money to just tears it up and says, don't worry about it. You see, the bill had to be paid. You didn't have any way of paying it. But instead of insisting on payment from you, God accepts payment from another, his son, Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, we're told that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen to how David describes God in Psalm 103. "'The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever.' He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Why east and west? Uh, Chris, can you grab this uh, globe right up here and toss it to me? See, that would be a sin, because you missed the mark, but that, that's okay. Your sins are are covered and not held against you, Chris. Thank, thank you so much, bud. Have you ever thought about why east and west, not north-south? Well, if you consider a globe, and uh, here we are right uh, here, and you decide to travel due north, watch this. You start to go he- north, and you don't alter course at all. You keep going in the same direction. You go north until you hit what? What? Laney? What, what do you hit up here? What is this? The North Pole, right? If you continue in the same direction, though, are you going north anymore? No. All of a sudden, you're going south. Until, until, Tyler, you hit the South Pole. And see, I, I'll pick on both kids and, and, and dads. And then all of a sudden, you're going North, same direction. North and south meet. But watch this. If you decide to start going east and you continue going east and you continue going east, I don't care how many times around this world you go, if you head east, you will never, ever start to go west. That's how far. God has taken your sin away from you, church. It's like once you've repented, it's all behind you in the rearview mirror, and it will never catch up to you. You see how now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is echoing what David has said in Psalm 32, that blessed is the one who has been forgiven, blessed is the one who has been covered, blessed is the one whose debt has been paid. Those benefits come with a condition of a contrite heart in mourning over our sin. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. Now, for those of you here today or watching today who have never been challenged to come face to face with your sinful nature, I I, I want to talk with you today because you you, you might have known that your sin and your your sinful nature existed before, but you've never really had your heart broken over the sin. That controls your life. The good news for you today is that because Jesus died on the cross, because he became your substitute, because he paid the penalty of your sin, the Bible promises that you can now receive God's favor, his blessing extended to you. In other words, your broken relationship with God can be mended. For God's part, the work has already been done on Calvary at the cross. But for your part, there are two critical things that the Bible tells us that must occur. First of all, from Psalm 32, David said, Then then I acknowledged my sin and, and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. First of all, David acknowledged to God that he was a sinner. He confessed. He came clean. He didn't minimize. He didn't make excuses. He didn't blame somebody else. He owned it. He confessed. Number two, he repented, making a U-turn in his life, uh, saying, I don't want to be on that path anymore that leads away from you. I want to now get on the path that brings me back to you. And so in Psalm 51, he says, my sacrifice is a broken spirit and a contrite heart, those are the things, God, that you will not despise. As we close today, do you know today that your sins are forgiven? Do you know today that you will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? Do you know that you can have peace with God even right now today? We don't truly understand how amazing God's forgiveness is until we understand how horrible our sinful nature is. And so are you willing today to accept Jesus as the one that can save you from that sin? Are you willing then to submit your life to his rule and his reign and make him Lord? This week we began to provide for you now in your seat back in back of you cards that will help people direct their prayer in order to receive Jesus into their life. We we know that that's very important. We don't always spend time talking about it, and that's probably something that we need to rethink. Because people need to know how to begin their discipleship journey with God, accepting His grace into their life and and, and knowing then they have eternal life. You see, we are saved by God's grace, but it's also through our faith. Our reliance on the sufficiency of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross tells us that God has done his part. We didn't have to do anything for God to love us and for him to offer us salvation. But now accepting that gift in faith means that we believe that he is, who he says he is, the Son of God. And that we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. And that, that involves repentance. It, it involves immersing ourselves into God's kingdom. If you have received Jesus, I I'd encourage you to take that card today and use that as kind of a direction for your prayers. And then if you would like us to uh, contact you, if you want to know what it means uh, about what it means to be connected with, with Christ, what it means to be baptized, what it means to have the Holy Spirit in your life, what Peter meant by when he said you must repent and be baptized. We want to come alongside of you and give you the support that everyone needs in order to keep on those steps that path of discipleship sharing with you the good news about the holy spirit coming to help you along that path right now i invite you to stand and as we sing our closing song i i would like for you to just take some time to consider making today your day of salvation where you say to god i believe in you i believe in your son And I want him to come in and forgive my sins. And I want to make him Lord of my life. And at that point, the Bible says, he will not hold your sins against you. He will cover up your guilt. And he will forgive your transgressions. That can be yours today. We'll have some people uh, here afterwards. If you want to come down, either while we sing or after we sing, that would be good. You know I love you. And I love serving as your pastor. And uh, I'm excited that I know that some somebody out there listening to this, they have made today the day of salvation. Let me pray, and then we will uh, conclude our service. God, you are good, and I thank you so much for your grace that is so amazing. A Grace that saves us from the sin that was so horrendous. But God, thank you so much that you have given us the, the roadmap to find that gift that you have offered to us. And I would pray that we would Come to understand what it means to mourn over our sinful state so that we can be comforted by that grace. God, you are good, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your son who died for us, and I thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, helping us live in your kingdom, your upside-down kingdom. God, I pray that you'd shine through us this week. pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.